Hey, welcome to the Behind the Screen Podcast. I'm Andy Benoit, my good friend Greg Cosell from NFL Films. Go ahead and hit that subscribe button. Greg, we're going to talk Super Bowl. I owe you an apology because it dawned on me at the game that I, you and I talked about getting together for dinner the night before the game, and I never followed up on that. I hope you uh, had a wonderful steak dinner at what I really thought was a very fancy place. Very fancy place. And you know what, Andy? I, 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 because... I had a splurge because the place just required that. So, you know, I had prime rib, which is not something my wife whips up at home on a regular basis. You know, little, you know, 16-ounce prime rib. Uh, needless to say, it did not cost $20 at this place, but it was well worth it. Well, and the other thing that, uh, to me, the biggest surprise of Super Bowl week was finding out you're uh, a sushi guy. That blew my mind. I am, too, oh, but that I blew my mind for you. I, I went two nights in a row to uh, – great restaurant in mandalay bay kumi it was it was great yeah well good okay let's what's say that but you want to go 49ers defense chiefs offense and do the mahomes whatever, stuff whatever you'd like to do however you want to start it whatever's on yeah. your mind andy okay let's start on that side of the ball 49ers also made a, a coordinator change one's on the horizon steve wilkes is out after this game the, we don't know where they'll go from there but just focusing on the game itself um mahomes what was your, let me ask you this, Greg, because I know you put a lot. We both have watched this tape a few times now. What were, to you was the one biggest factor in the outcome of the game overall on this side of the ball? Well, uh, let me say this. I mean, it, that's a hard question, you know, to answer one yeah. factor. But I will say that, you know, I did not think the Chiefs offense overall was necessarily that good. And I think it was very reflective and representative of their season. I mean, mm-hmm. think of it this way. They did not score a touchdown until the play after the muffed punt. So let's say that was not, you know, a fumble. And I know it was, and people are going to say, well, it was, of course, we know that. But, you know, more time would have gone by for them to score a touchdown, even if the Niners went three and out, if they fielded the punt. So, you know, they were struggling to run the ball. I don't know whether people were surprised at the 49ers run defense, but they played very well. I thought they did some interesting things with their front uh, to create some some more difficult blocking uh, angles and leverage for the uh, the Chiefs. And maybe the Chiefs didn't expect that. I don't know. Only they could tell you that. But they struggled to run the ball. Um, and, you know, Mahomes early on, uh, you know, in many ways he played like Mahomes. He left the pocket too early which mm-hmm. he always does. I know defensive coordinators that you've probably spoken to, that I've spoken to. That's the way he plays. It doesn't mean he's not a great player, but he will often leave the pocket early when there's no pressure, leave some throws on the field. And then if they're, if he doesn't make a, a second reaction off script play, sometimes the offense bogs down. And that's yeah. the way it was through a good part of the first half. Um, I thought the 52-yarder to Hardman, I don't even think he should have thrown that ball. That that should have been an easy interception for Gibson, who somehow lost awareness of both Hardman and the throw. But to me, that ball should have been an easy interception. I, I agree 100% with what you said on all of those things. Uh, and Kelsey was wide open on the second level on that, that ball that Gibson should have intercepted. Now, they got the turnover right after that. Gibson with a good run fit. Ford and then Lenore forced the fumble, so it was no harm done. But I agree right. with you. They didn't feel like the Chiefs got any sort of rhythm at all until the two-minute drive. And yeah. I wonder a little bit, sometimes those two-minute situations, 
I don't know what it is about. I mean, it's it's just the nature of the feel of the flow of the drive. It demands a quarterback play on schedule. And Mahomes started playing on schedule on that drive. Yes. And it felt like things finally came to life a little bit for Kansas City. Yes. Um, the other thing that really struck me, and I'm sure it struck you, it was evident right from the beginning of the game that the Chiefs knew that their tackles, their offensive tackles, could not block one-on-one. And it was a clear priority and a clear game plan priority to chip on both sides. Um, I, I, I think that, um, I, to me, I can't remember when the first play was that they did not give help. Um, I think we were in the second quarter maybe, uh, or maybe even the third quarter where they did not give help. Um, let's see. uh I made a note of that. Um, oh, it was their fifth possession, which was the field goal possession that ended the first half, was the first possession in which they did not give Smith and Taylor help in pass protection. And that's because they were throwing shorter balls, as you said, more more staying on schedule, more staying with the script. So they probably felt that the nature of those pass calls did not require them to help because the ball was going to be out. Right. Well, I mean, for those short designs to work, you got to threaten zone defenders with multiple guys anyway. So you couldn't, it's not the chip as easily. Um, I didn't feel like San Francisco, look, the chips, in a way, I think it worked. I didn't feel like San Francisco's pass rush was the factor that we maybe thought it was having sat at the game live and just watching the feel of it. And I feel like I don't see anything sometimes live because I get so used to pausing. Right, right, right. Yeah. But just coming out or having watched the game there at, at the stadium, it felt like the Niners' pass rush was not as big a factor on film as it felt coming out of that game when I watched it. I would agree. Game. It's funny you say that because I was reading that, you know, Bosa had a great game. He had, you know, 10 or 12 quarterback hits. And, the, and watching the tape, I didn't feel like that was a big factor in the game. Yeah, and, and Bosa did show up, and there were some noisy plays, but it was never – an. I don't want to say never. There were not instances where it was dictating how Mahomes was having to navigate the pocket necessarily. I would agree with that. You know, um, you know, I think that Mahomes, you know, look, as we said, he is going to one of the things that is makes Mahomes Mahomes is that he will leave the pocket early when there's no pressure. Um, very often, you know, certainly in years past, he made special plays doing that. This year, he didn't make as many, which is one reason why their offense was not as explosive. You know, obviously, everybody points to the receivers. Sure, that's a factor. You know, better players usually make better plays. We know that. Um, but, um, you know, he, he didn't appear to be really comfortable early in the game. Yes. The other thing that stood out to me a lot watching the game, Greg, and by the way, you know, down the stretch, the it became more and more quick game for at least shorter oh. passing game. Yep, it was yep. just the balls, and you know, we talked about it going into the game how those 49ers will play their linebackers will play really deep at times in zone coverage, and they've got the yeah. range to take away underneath throws. At you know, they'll let you catch it and they'll go hunt up the ball. But what you don't account for is when that ball comes out quickly underneath, usually it's a check down where it comes out late in the down, linebackers right. not, you know, a linebacker still retreating if you get the check down early in the down. That's what Brady was so great at. And it felt like they got them again and again with quick throws while linebackers were sinking deep in zone coverage. Yeah, and, and the other thing too is, you know, Mahomes is, is, a, is 
a very smart player. And, and there was one play that really stood out to me, which was probably a nothing play as far as most people are concerned. But I thought it spoke to Mahomes, his understanding, uh, you know, and just his savvy. It was the first play of the third possession. And they called flood at a 13 personnel. And that's a staple concept, just so people know what flood is. It's a three-level concept to one side of the field with a vertical route, an intermediate route, and a and a um, a flat route. You know, and 99% of the time, the, the uh, vertical route is just to lift the corner and get him out of there. And 99% of the time, you throw the intermediate route. And I would say a very high percentage of the time, it's to Kelsey. So they started the third possession with that concept, and the 49ers played cover three, and there was great awareness by both the flat defender Ryan and the hook defender Burks to squeeze Kelsey. So they took Kelsey away, and Mahomes saw it instantaneously and immediately threw the flat check down to Pacheco, whether you want to call it a check down or a flat throw. He threw it to Pacheco, and it was for seven yards. And it doesn't seem like a big play, but I just thought you know it was a great awareness play by Mahomes, understanding what he was looking at. You know, because if you wait a beat or two longer and then you throw it to Pacheco, it becomes a two-yard game. Yeah. No, I, that's that's I, I know exactly the play you're talking about. And that's and one thing Kansas City does a great job with on those floods. They'll run Kelsey on those stop routes where he doesn't actually flood all the way out to the sideline. He'll just stop near the seams. And I wonder a little bit if that was part of what would make San Francisco. I mean, it's, it's also Travis Kelsey. It's their, that's their offense. But, yes, right. converging on him. You mentioned that uh, that was it. Who was it? Rice caught the touchdown, right? The, the after the punt return fumble. No, uh, Valdez Scantling. Valdez Scantling, my fault. Yep. Um, on that one, it felt to me like Kansas City knew exactly what they were getting from the 49ers, Where it was a, a three buzz week, where the Niners start out in quarters, they bring the safety down hard to the to one of the underneath defender locations. And they had the switch release to get both guys. Basically, Valdez Gentley ran right to where the safety buzzed from, and right. the other safety didn't get over. Yeah, I mean, doesn't Gibson have to rotate to the middle? He was the field safety. I mean, I, you know, again, I don't know how they teach that, but if you're going to have Brown drop down hard as the flat defender, which he essentially did, whatever you want to call it, he became, you know, because it was a disguise and late rotation from a two-shell pre-snap to what clearly looked like a cover three kind of coverage. And and the Brown was the boundary safety. He dropped down to the flat hard, yeah. and the field safety, Gibson, did not rotate at all. And so it just became pitch and catch. Yeah, and I wondered about that. And I wondered exactly about that. So on that, on that side, of, so I believe he was cheated to the passing strength a little bit, which is how you he naturally was when he lined up because it was a quarter's well, look. Well, he was cheated to the field, you know. So, again, I forget, you know, I, they may have designated the field as the passing strength, but I think they had two wide receivers to the boundary, but I can't remember. I know obviously Valdez Scantling was there. It was, but I Kelsey can't and Valdez, it was Kelsey and Valdez Scantling both to the boundary and then two wide receivers to the wide oh, side. Then, yeah. the so then, then the field was the um, clearly the passing strength. So, yes, he was cheated there. But still, to me, there has to be some kind of rotation. But, I, you know, again, I don't know how they coach it. Maybe the – Maybe it was just the exact right play call against an anticipated coverage in the high red zone. That I don't know. But Gibson clearly stayed to the to the strength, to the field, and it just became pitch and catch. 
Kelsey even pointed to Valdez Scantling while Mahomes is dropping back. That's how wide open Valdez Scantling right. was. Well, also, yeah, why yeah, I wondered. Yeah. They, yeah, they knew what they were getting, but they, you know, the Niners didn't run that three buzz or that three sky coverage a whole lot in this game. Not like that. Not where they were going down so hard. One thing you wonder on how they would teach Gibson is, okay, if you're cheated to the passing strength, which the post safety does in those cover three looks on a lot of calls, right? A, does it change if the tight end is Travis Kelsey? You know, would you adjust that going into that game? And B, if the back is offset to that side in the red area where you get a lot of three receiver route combinations down there, would that impact what you would teach the post? And I don't know the answer to that either. And we don't know the answer to that. I don't think it would have mattered, though. Do you think it would have mattered? Yeah, I was just going to say, other than the fact that I doubt that the way it played out was the way the 49ers, I mean, I doubt they came to the sideline and said, oh, well, we just got beat wide open on a pass play and that's the way it goes. I'm sure something was not right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Here's the other thing I wondered about the game from San Francisco's side, because I thought they did a lot more schematically than they typically do. I, I felt like the, I mean, they played a lot of, they played not a lot, but meaningful snaps of man, which they'll do. They played cover two out of man-to-man looks at least half a dozen times, I'd say. They played different variations of quarters, and they brought some really aggressive, heavy pressure fronts and dropped the different things out of it, including bringing some cover zero pressure concepts, some overload fire zones. I mean, it sounds like we're describing a Baltimore Ravens defense as we're going through this. I wonder, Greg, you know, there's a fine line between catching an opponent off guard and taking the extra week and diversifying versus getting away from who you are. Can we discuss if San Francisco got near that line or crossed that line in this game? Yeah. And that's hard to know because they do have an extra week. And I would imagine that's a conversation the coaches have late at night, you know, every night, you know, here's what we have been all season long. How much do we want to deviate from that? Because now we're asking the players to do some things that they, we really haven't done much of all season. It's a part of our playbook, you know, that that's been accumulating dust, you know, and hasn't really been looked at. So I would imagine that that is a very difficult decision for a coaching staff. Um, and then, you know, you have to decide at what point you, you know, you, you cross the fine line as it were, um, you know, you and I would, it's hard for us to know that because we, you know, we don't know the ability of the players to, to be able to do those kinds of things. Um, you know, and, and obviously they're playing, you know, a great quarterback in Mahomes. So, you know, you, you, you want to feel that your players can play fast and be comfortable playing fast as opposed to be thinking through what they're doing. So that's a hard question to answer, I think, for you and I. Did it feel to you watching it like they like we were seeing a more expansive 49ers menu than we typically do? Um I would say not necessarily. I mean, you know, there's a couple of things I expected. You know, when I was on Radio Row on uh, you know, Wednesday, Thursday and Friday before the Super Bowl and, and obviously with all the shows I did talking about the game, I talked about the fact that, you know, Gibson in cover one is normally their tight end matchup, which we saw in the game. But I said, because it's Kelsey and because it's Gibson, I thought you'd see coverages in which Warner would be the tight end matchup. So I expected that. I expected them to play some two man. I expected them to play some cover one robber in which Warner would match up to Kelsey because, you know, Kelsey versus Gibson is it is clear advantage for the Chiefs. So, you know, some of the things they did, to be honest with you, did not surprise me at all. 
Well, I felt watching that, like like the Kelsey versus Warner matchup wound up being clear advantage for Kansas City, and, and it expressed itself most clearly on that shallow cross for 22 yards on, I think it was, what was his third and seven, maybe? Somebody, it was the play that put him in the easy field goal range at the end of regulation. Me, it's funny you mentioned that play. That play to me was fascinating. Now, it was third and seven, okay? Um, they're just outside the red zone. There's 20 seconds remaining in the fourth quarter. They're in field goal range at this point, but still, you know, they'd like to get closer. So there's less than 20 seconds remaining in the fourth quarter. Third and seven. The Chiefs line up in in 12, okay? And it's one by three because Kelsey was the reduced split boundary X. Um, now, the 49ers, who are not a man-heavy team, correct? They're not a man-heavy team. Um, correct. It's third and seven. Now, maybe the situation in their mind dictated playing man, but they're not a man team. And it's third and seven, not third and one or two or three, where you might realistically expect man. And yet, the Chiefs called a man-beater concept. So how did they anticipate they would get man coverage on third and seven in that situation from a defense that's not a high-tendency man-covered defense? I found that fascinating because, you know, Mesh, as you know, is a man-coverage beater. And, and you know, Warner was trailing Kelsey right off the bat, but then Gray did a great job of even slowing down Warner, you know, because they ran the mirrored, the mirrored shallow crosses, which is Mesh. And I was just kind of blown away by the fact that they called a man beater on third and seven against a team that doesn't play a lot of man. Yeah, that's a great point. And it was exactly what you wanted. They got, it was man robber week. So the, the free or the, the, right. the, free, right. the unattached right. safety, the strong safety, but he came down waiting on those crossing routes that were coming from the three receiver side, which makes all the sense in the world. And right, the right. Chief- Skip, yes, Gibson was the boundary safety, and he was the robber, and he his eyes were clearly on the trip side of the formation. Um, and you're right. So they, you know, no one was there to play Kelsey at all, which is the genius part of the call. You know, you put your three threats over there. You teach robbers going to take those three robbers almost every time, or he's going to take those three crossing routes rather, or wait on those. Well, and you put your maybe greatest of receiving tight end of all time on the side away from it and just have him run away from everybody. Right. There as was you no know, help you, Warner. Yeah, as Warner you, had no help. No. no. And as you know, from doing a ton of, of defensive work when you were with the Rams, you know, versus three by one, if you, if a team is going to play a robber, the robber almost always comes from the boundary side, from the, from the passing weakness side, as it were with eyes on the trip side. Yeah. Cause he's going to, he wants to sit there and wait on those, on those routes that are coming among other things. Right, right, right. Uh, anything else from that side of the ball for us to touch on? Um, you know, I thought that it was one of those games, particularly in the second half, where the Niners had a number of plays that um, just there were like minor mistakes that caused problems. You know, not the kinds of things where you go, oh, my God, what are they doing? But I just thought there were, you know, just some plays and, and um, like, for instance – do you remember Mahomes' 19 yards on third and one in overtime? Uh, the scramble right up the middle. Yes. Yes. I mean, that to me, that was cover two. Did you see it as cover two? Absolutely, yeah. So Warner, who was the middle hole defender, left the middle hole to chase Rice, shallow crosser. And we, we know Warner's a great player. That's not the point. But why is Warner, the middle hole defender, chasing Rice right to the hook defender and that left the middle wide open for Mahomes. Just little things like that. There were a number of those kinds of little mistakes, you know, that just stood out to me watching the second half in overtime. 
Yeah, and then Warner took a bad angle from there once he saw what was happening. Right, too. but he but he went yeah. way too far. The to damage was done. The damage had yeah. been done, and we saw the repercussions. No, I, I it, again, and I wonder if that goes back a little bit to. I, I felt like they did a lot more than they normally do. And you mentioned the third and seven man coverage. I mean, I'm going to look up there because they played a ton of cover two in that game. Would you agree with that? Yeah, normally they're not a big cover two team. No, they're not. So on the season, I want to see where they rank as we're talking here in terms of snaps out of cover two on the season. Where would, Well, we don't need to guess. We're going to look it up right here. So on the season, Minnesota led the league in cover two snaps. Chicago, New England behind them. 49ers ranked 17th on the season, 109 total snaps. So, so they're average, average. Yeah, average in the Super yeah. Bowl. How many did they play in the Super Bowl? 17 snaps of cover two in the Super Bowl. So that's almost a fourth that's of the a game. Lot. Yeah. Let me ask yeah. you this just before we move on to the other side of the ball. I was fascinated by the the uh, winning touchdown. Uh, you know, obviously everybody's saying corn dog, same play they called against the Eagles. That's not what fascinated me about it. You know, that's just one of their staple concepts that they run in the low red zone. So, you know, we've seen it before, but I just thought they did such a really good job with how they ran that play and and how they put the corner ward. And in some ways, um, uh, Ryan, who was the under, you know, theoretically the underneath defender, I thought the way they distorted their responsibilities with the way they Hardman with his initials in motion and then the return motion, the way they did that, I thought was just beautiful. I agree with you. Yeah, they put Logan Ryan basically stood in place, and it's not because he decided he wasn't moving on that play. Right, right. Because obviously, you know, Ward was the outside corner, and if there was no motion, he's going to, you know, he would match up to Hardman, who was number one, if Hardman, you know, released vertically. And then Hardman goes in, in motion, and he goes behind Kelsey. And I think that Ward lost him. And then Ward obviously thinks, okay, I have the new number one. And then all of a sudden, you know, Hardman, you know, becomes the number one again. And I just thought the way they designed it, the little details that made that play work really distorted Ward's coverage responsibilities. And Ryan was uncertain as to how he should react. Yep. No, I agree with you. I agree with you. It was, it was very well done. Other side of the ball, uh, Spagnuolo and that Chiefs defense, outstanding performance. 49ers have uh, great offense all season long. Um, I know one thing we can get it out of the way unless there's more to say on it. I, you were just on the Zoom call we did, Greg, on 33rd team. San Francisco, longest run of the game, 11 yards. I think that was on yeah. 31 carries. It never felt like 31 carries either. It didn't feel like they were running as much as they normally do to some degree. No explosive runs after averaging nearly three per game to lead the league during the season. They did have over half their runs gained four yards or more, but they really didn't stay on schedule even with that offensively. Anything that the Chiefs did unexpected in terms of stopping the run in this game besides just executing well? Um, you know, I thought they, they were multiple with their front looks. I had talked on Radio Row that I thought that you might see a 6-1 front at times, you know, out of their base, 4-3 base when they had their three linebackers on the field. And we saw a couple of those, um, you know, that's dependent obviously on formation because you're not going to necessarily do that if it's an I formation because you don't have enough second level defenders. But, you know, you can do it if, if, if the use check is spread out and it's an I just an I back. And they did that a couple of times. I, I expected to see that. Um, you know, I thought they just did. I, I thought that in some ways the 
the weakness of the 49ers O-line, because I think on the right side of their O-line with McKivitz and Feliciano, that that's not really a strength. You know, I thought that showed up in this game, both in the run game and in pass protection. Um, you know, I thought there was a physical toughness to the way the Chiefs played defense. I think Leo Chanel gives them that, and he played more snaps. Not that he's the only guy that gives them that, but he played more snaps in this game simply because the Niners played 54% of their offensive snaps at a 21 personnel. So the Chiefs probably played more base defense, I would imagine, than maybe any game this season. I don't know that for a fact, you know, but I, that would be my guess. Um, you know, so... You know, I think that it was a combination of things, but I think they were beaten at times one-on-one. They were beaten at times, um, you know, just by the fronts that they saw. Uh, it was just a really solid defensive performance, I thought, by the front. And even their safeties. You know, one of the things I think that's lost with the Chiefs is I think Reed is a really good run defender. He's a mm -hmm. big physical kid, and he often plays in the box. There are times he lines up almost as a stack backer, and he's a very good run defender. Yeah, I agree with that. Uh, 39 snaps out of 21 personnel for San Francisco. Kansas City played base on 21 of those snaps. And then when they did go nickel, I recall, it was Connor, the slot slot corner. He's got kind of a safety hybrid for him. Yeah, he's I mean, hybrid. they were essentially playing big nickel. You know, yeah, big he's, nickel. he's been there run nickel all season long. Yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah, so it's solid showing right there from them. I didn't. I was surprised we didn't. You know, they blitzed, they kind of shifted this conversation to the passing game a little bit then. But Kansas City blitzed 19 times in this game. Half of those basically were cover zero. How did you feel, Greg, watching just the flow of the game? I didn't feel like it was, I didn't feel like the Chiefs were overwhelming the Niners with blitzes. I didn't think it was a super heavy blitz performance in the flow of the game or that they were getting home with. I thought San Francisco responded pretty decently. I would agree. Um, just one point before I get to that. I Just one play I marked talking about the six-man front, which I thought saved a huge play. It was on first and 10 on the second possession of the game, okay? It ended up being a one-yard McCaffrey reception, not run, a reception. And they walked up into a six-man front with Chanel on the ball to the field. And the 49ers ran a misdirection element with Samuel jet motion opposite and Kittle and Juszczyk, the lead blockers, versus McDuffie and Edwards. And it was Chanel's alignment on the ball to the play side as they threw the swing screen to McCaffrey that short-circuited the play. If he was not on the ball, if he was, let's say, in a stacked position, he would not have been able to get outside and force um, McCaffrey to cut back inside where actually Karloftis made the tackle. But that would have been a huge play for the Niners because it was set up beautifully but Chanel, because he was on the ball in a six-man front, was able to get out there in a hurry and totally disrupt the play. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway, so, getting back to your other point, yeah. I thought that um, uh, I agree with you. I mean, I thought that, yeah, even when with the number of times that they got free rushers, which I think was eight or nine in the game, I didn't get the sense that that was a dominant, dominant feature of the game. No, and if you call cover zero nine times, you know, you better get clean rushers on half of those. I mean, by in theory, on paper, a cover zero is going to automatically be a clean rusher. It doesn't always play out that way. But the point is you can get clean rushers if you're investing in it, and they were investing in it. The yes. only time where I felt like they got a clean rusher, that was a huge factor, was that play that McDuffie had the where he 
the cover zero that McDuffie came on the beat. Yeah, the third and five. And that was a fascinating yeah. play. I looked at that play. play. Two-minute drive or the two-minute warning. Yeah, I looked at that play 20 times, you know, trying to figure out, you know, that was the only play of the game in which they lined up with seven defensive backs, what I call dollar. They had two down linemen, two linebackers, and seven defensive backs. And then, you you know, you put a burden on the offensive line as to which five they're going to be responsible for. You know, they shifted uh, McCaffrey out of the backfield to kind of a wide wing alignment, and they kept Kittle in the backfield. And, you know, that that's a really hard burden to decide who the five are you going to protect, uh, that the O-line is going to protect, and then who Kittle is going to deal with. It's easy to say that Kittle should have crossed the formation. You know, we don't know that. We don't know, you know, yeah. we, don't, we don't know for sure how they map that out. But, you know, on the 33rd team call today, they talked about the fact that Mike Martz did that he, you know, that Purdy should have worked inside out, which I agree, because if he had thrown to Ayuk, who ran the quick slot slant, they would have gotten the first down and McDuffie's blitz wouldn't even have been a factor. Correct. Yeah, there was two in-breaking routes, Ayuk from the slot and then Juwan Jennings outside. Purdy, unfortunately for San Francisco, went to Jennings on that play. And and Ayuk was, as Mark, as Mark said, it's an inside-out read. And it, you'd like to see that ball go to Ayuk. And if it does, uh, San Francisco probably wins the game and all these narratives around Kyle Shanahan cease to exist. Right, right. Well, you know, it was such a... Um... It was such a, a tight game, uh, you know, again, not to be cliched and not to sound just like, you know, just say stuff that's not profound. But, you know, those kinds of games, you know, it's it's funny. And then we can get back to the specifics of, of this side of the ball. But I was, you know, I was at Mandalay Bay so I could walk back to the uh, the hotel. And, of course, the game had just ended and 49er fans were very, very raw with emotion. But I'm hearing fans, you know, oh, they need to just fire Shanahan. He just can't win these games. He doesn't know what he's doing. You know, that's that's the kind of stuff you get. Well, I, mean, I mean, it could not be, you know, Cody Schwartz, actually, our guy, he texted me afterwards saying, you know, if, if the Niners had won that game, Kyle Shanahan, by winning percentage, would be the winningest playoff coach in NFL history right now. If they right. won, if they won. He's, now he's number five or something like that. Right, but, right. So, I yeah. Mean, yeah, that's just ridiculous. I it's mean, that, it's utterly know, ridiculous, yes. Yeah, and, so, I mean, that, yeah, we're not going to even go there. But, you know, it was a really hard-fought game. And, you know, I thought that – I, I tell you what, what kind of interested me from a tactical standpoint is on the first three third and longs in the third quarter – third and long now. I'm not talking third and four, third and five. Third and long, I think it was um, – um, you know, at least eight or nine, and maybe there was a, there was a third and thirteen. Uh, they spied on on uh, Purdy. I was kind of surprised by that. Well, what made you surprised by it? Um, the, the distance for the first down. Okay, okay, and I could see that. I guess, yeah. I mean, that's an interesting point because that a spy would probably be more like third and six to five yeah i mean i can tell you right now third and 15 third and 11 third and 10 those were the the third and longs on the first three possessions of the third quarter for the niners each time the um chiefs were in three two six three down linemen two linebackers six dbs and each of those third and longs with third and 10 being the shortest they spied um they deployed a spy on purdy yeah, what was it? What I know they played two man a decent amount, or I mean not a decent amount, but they played snaps of it like they always do. What was the coverage on those plays? Do you remember? 
yeah, I can tell you. The first one was two man. Okay. Um, yep. Third and 11 was the second one. They went cover one robber. And third okay. and 10, they went two man. So well, my guess is the spy is probably at least hard, probably hardwired into some of those two man calls. Yeah, I mean, they, they rushed three. Um, one of the linebackers had the back, you know, and the other linebacker was became the spy. Yeah. Here's the thing about spying, I think. Tell me how you feel about this. We tend to think of it as a, an insurance policy for if the quarterback takes off and runs with the ball. And I know there have been defensive coaches that have taught it to me like, well, we actually view it as it's a form of a pass rush. He's our fourth pass rusher. And when we're the spy is our fourth pass rusher. And when we're facing a quarterback that is going to change the launch point or move the pocket, you can't really scheme your pass rush around that because then you're just guessing. So the right. next best thing is we'll rush three, but we'll designate an extra guy as to move with the QB. And that will ensure that we at least have a pass rush presence moving when the quarterback moves. And you wow. know, Purdy has made so many second reaction plays this season late in the down. I wonder if that entered into Spagnuolo's thinking. And I think he was a little worried about it. on the first one, by the way, um, Purdy had no clean throw versus uh, the uh, the two man coverage. He he then left the pocket to his left, and Gay was the spy on this play, and he tracked him down. So it worked. It was third and fifteen. Gay tracked him down for a four yard play. Um, you know, on on the third one, which was third and ten, that was the play in which um, uh, they they used a spy as well. They went two man, and that was the play in which McDuffie textbook. Uh, two-man coverage on Samuel. Undercut it, got right on his inside hip. You probably remember this play. It was third and 10 on the third third quarter possession. Uh, McDuffie, you know, like I said, he undercut the dig ball. Um, he played to his health perfectly. And it just, like that to me was textbook, you know, corner play up versus two, you know, when you're in two-man. Yeah. McDuffie had some really aside. He got he got beat over his leverage or across his face on, uh, I think it was Jennings in the overtime on the third and thirteen. Which really, looking back, it's a huge. I mean, it's a huge play at the time, and it had a chance to be an enormously impactful play because Kansas City didn't get off the field then. But aside from that, I thought McDuffie played at a really high level throughout the game in coverage. So did I. Now, you know, everybody just assumed, oh, he was on Samuel the whole game, which of course he wasn't. But the times he was, there were he made plays. Yeah, he he did. The other guy who stood out to me a little bit that stood out, but was noisy. And, and and we talked about it a little. You brought it up the right side of San Francisco's offensive line, right tackle Cole McKibbitts, but it was George Karlaftis against him. I thought Karlaftis, Chris Jones got a lot of attention, I think, yeah. well-deserved. There were some plays oh. where Jones was the beneficiary of mental mistakes on offense, though. Karlaftis seemed really noisy to me throughout the game, too. I agree, and I was I was a little bit wrong on Karlaftis. I did him coming out of Purdue, and um, – I thought he, you know, I didn't think he'd be this good a player. He's turned out to be a really good player who can line up in multiple spots along your defensive front. He's turned out to be a better pass rusher than I thought he'd be. Um, you know, I think that he's, uh, you know, and in fact, on one of the, on the second, third and 11, you know, where they used to spy, Karloftis drove back McKivitz into the pocket, forcing Purdy to make a hurried throw to Kittle on the vertical sideline route, and that resulted in an incompletion. Yeah. You know, the Chiefs defensive line coach is Joe Cullen, who's one of the most respected guys around the NFL. Do you know him at all? I do not know him at all. 
Yeah, he's uh, he's from the Rod Marinelli, Matt Millen crew like that. Those were his friends. Those were his guys. And he he is as good as, as there is in the league and as good a guy as there is. I'm happy to see his guys playing well. Yeah, well, I thought um, I did feel that the the right side of that line for the, the 49ers at times was a problem in this game. And I, I you know, that didn't surprise me. I had talked about that leading up to the to the game and I, I felt it would be a problem. Well, and, and not to pick on him because I think he's done some nice things as a young player, but you know Spencer Burford at the end oh. of the game, the final play, you know he he is a five down front. They're pulling the center away. I think Burford thinks the center's pulling to his side, so he blocks down. He's not supposed to. Chris Jones comes in clean. Jennings was open on a pivot route, as you know, Greg, for what would have been the a touch, likely a touchdown. Well, the other and, thing too. The other thing too is let's say Purdy had all the time had time. You know, let's say it was blocked up. On the other side of the field, the corner, I forget which corner it was, fell down and Ayuk actually walked into the end zone wide open. And mm-hmm. and let's say that that uh, Purdy caught that out of the corner of his eye. He, he, he it would have been so easy. But you're right, even Jennings, if he had thrown the route to Jennings, you know, either he scores or he gets down to the one yard line. Yeah. With more evidence of why we're not going to get into who can win the big game and not win the big game. Because- yeah, I mean, see, that's why that those kinds of comments are just pointless. But you and I don't we don't get into those conversations. We don't. And remember, for a long time, Andy Reid, who's now going down as one of the absolute greatest coaches for uh, this- yeah, he couldn't win the big one either. Yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah he didn't. I mean, and that was like that was what he was all all about. That's what the narrative on him uh, was. So. Well, okay, I thought one of the, the key factors in the game was what you talked about on the 30-13 call was that the 49ers' average third down yards to go was 9.7. Really difficult to play when that's your average third down to go. Um, you know, and obviously they were 3 for 12 on third down. I think at one point they were 1 for 7 or 1 for 8, and it's just really hard to play when you have 10 yards to go in order to get a first down. Well, and against a defense that's physical at corner, multiple with their pressure designs, you're willing to rotate safeties after the snap. Kansas City wants you in third. I mean, every defense wants you in third and long. But Kansas City, you could argue to some degree, they're built to win. Like their their whole defensive identity is about getting to third and long. Well, and the other factor too with Spags is he wants to play physically. It's you know he'll do that even on third and long. He he wants his corners to be physical. He you know obviously if it's third and twenty that's different. You know what I'm saying though. If it's third and ten, he's not sitting back. He wants his corners to get up, get physical. There were a number of snaps in, in which both Sneed and McDuffie really disrupted Samuel's timing off the ball. You know, I mean, they he that's that's a thing with Spags because I've discussed it with him. He does not want his corners playing soft. Well, maybe that's partly why we see the quarterback get spied on some of those third down and 12 to 15 snaps in on two man. No, that's a great point because the quarterback's not going to be able to throw with timing, so he's going to end up sitting there, and then you have a guy you know, assigned to him. So, no, that's a great point. It kind of goes together. Yeah. Okay, Greg, anything else to go over? Do you want to predict Kansas City's win total for next season, guarantee a, a three-peat or anything like that? No, but I, what I do want to do is I, I want to predict next year who's going to be in the Super Bowl. Don't you want to do that? Absolutely. after after hanging out with some of my friends there in las vegas you get to know who you get to know people differently when you're in las vegas i i feel like maybe going and putting some money on it yeah well i'm not allowed to do that so you know i I can't even talk about that stuff Uh, how dare me i'm sorry that's right you are an nfl aren't you yeah yeah good 
All right, well, Greg, I've enjoyed this all season long. We'll keep it going in the off season. What are you gonna? You get off season time for you? It's it's, draft, I don't I totally really get an off season the way people think of it. I've already started diving in. You know, watching draft guys. I've probably watched five, six quarterbacks. I think I've been through 12, 13 receivers. I'm mixing and matching other positions. So you know, and it's funny. I really enjoy that, Andy, because it's it's a different way of watching the game because. And I think you're the same way. When I watch the NFL now, well, I'm aware of, you know, of players like, you know, uh, I probably couldn't tell you who the best left guard in the league is. But, you know, when I watch the NFL, I'm, I'm very conscious of tactics and schemes. As I said, I'm aware of players, but it's more schematic and tactical for me. When I turn my attention to college, while I'm aware of schemes, because you have to be aware to evaluate a player, I'm much more focused on on traits and tools and those kinds of things. So it, 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 it's somewhat refreshing for my brain because it's a little different way that I can watch. Yeah. There, it's there are two different ways of watching football. There's no question. Yeah. Draft yeah. And, and analyzing games are two completely different things. Yeah. So I, so I do, you know, so I don't necessarily get a break. I mean, I'm not going to work 75 hours a week like I do for, you know, seven months straight, but you know, I, it's not like I, you know, put my feet up, smoke a cigar, and, and, and don't come to work or anything, as a lot of people think I do once the season ends, you know? Yeah, no, I know I know that's not how – you wouldn't know what to do with yourself if you did that. No, that's exactly right. Yeah. yeah. Oh, good. Well, Greg, we'll keep it going. Appreciate you. Go ahead. Appreciate everyone listening as well. Go ahead and hit that subscribe button. This is Behind the Screen Podcast. My friend Greg Cosell. I'm Andy Benoit. We'll see you next time.